batting for the Cubs corner, the host, Anthony Pasquale. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Cubs Corner. I'm your host, Anthony Pasquale, and as always, this episode is brought to you by Coach's Bar and Grill. We've got a very special guest today on the show, so without further ado, we'd like to welcome Ryan Dempster onto the show for the second time. Thanks for joining us, Demp. Hey, great to be on with you. Thanks for having me, Anthony. Absolutely. So your career, 132 wins, 87 saves, two all-star appearances, obviously the 2013 World Series with the Red Sox. When you look back on it, whether it's uh, with the Cubs or the Marlins, the Red Sox, any of the other teams you played with, what kind of sticks out the most for you? Um, yeah, I think probably, honestly, like obviously, you know, nine years in a Cubs uniform, nine seasons or part of before I got traded away was, was pretty special. You know, to be able to play in Chicago on the north side is, is something every player, I think, kind of would really like the opportunity to do and I had the opportunity to do that so um you know that was pretty awesome winning a world series is obviously the creme de la creme that's what you play for and to have that happen my last year my only year in boston as a red Sox was uh was special unique you know i, I said you know I, my greatest times in my career were in chicago but the greatest season of my life was that season in in uh in boston and so you've gotten to play in the two oldest, most historic ballparks. Not trying to get anybody mad at you, but um, how do you compare the two? Yeah, you know, I, I think they honestly, like, it's funny. Everybody always says they're so alike, but I think they're totally different. Um, you know, there's nothing like a, a summer game at Wrigley Field where the Ivy's all grown in. And the beauty of it all in the neighborhood, just that feel is is pretty special. It's not duplicated anywhere else, not even Fenway Park and um, you know, but playing playing in Boston, the expectations they have, I think, as fans day in, day out is a little bit different. They're in on every pitch. They're, you know, they're not distracted by making a snake cup in the bleachers or, um, you know, some of the things that can go on at Wrigley. And that being said, Cubs fans are amazing in their own right, too. So, um, obviously, right, like, it's no, history, it's no secret how much I love the city of Chicago and love the Cub fans. They're just, they're just two different beasts, and, uh, you know, it's, it's a pretty special feeling, and it's different. As a visiting player and as a home player, aesthetically, when you walk out of the dugout, it feels a little bit the same as far as Wrigley. You take in the you know, the sights and the sounds the same. As a visiting player and a home player at Fenway, it's totally different. You walk out as a visiting player, um, and you, know, you have to look to your left to see the green monster. The view is right field. As a home player, you walk out, and that thing hits you right in the face, and you're like, oh, yes, I've got a wall behind me. Perfect. Turn a lot of doubles into singles in that park. So mm-hmm. they're, they're both pretty special, and, and I honestly would never compare one to the other because they are so different. And, and so far, you mentioned some of the fans. So far, this playoffs, uh, the Philadelphia fans have gotten a lot of uh, credit and um, kind of as like a 10th man for that team. Uh, what are your experiences playing at the bank? Yeah, I mean, it's, that place is nuts. It, it, really <laughs> it, it, is, it is loud. It is obnoxious. Um, but at the same time, that also is really, you know, it's really awesome that it's that way and that that's an environment that you you know you get to come into and it's like oh man this is just a, an amazing place um you know they they talk a little bit more shit than everybody else i know that um they say some things about your family members that maybe you didn't know that i didn't even know my mom flew let alone i've been to philadelphia before <laughs> um, but that being said they're passionate they love their home players. They got a good group of players that have kind of embraced Philadelphia. Guys like Schwarber, guys like Bryce Harper, Nick Castellanos. These guys 
they kind of sum up, you know, a little bit of what Philly's all about. And they play hard, they play the game the other way, they got a great team and they're out there, you know, behind them. And because of that, it's a juggernaut. You go into that place, good luck. It's going to get loud that first hit, the first time somebody gets on base. So um, a really unique experience to, to pitch there, both as a starting pitcher, I pitched there as a closer, all kinds of different environments. It's it's nuts. Did you ever pitch there in the playoffs? Um, no, never in the playoffs. Um, had had one uh, one game that was pretty loud. I, I, I came in, Zambrano had thrown eight shutout innings with like 80-something pitches, and we all know that Z didn't want to come out after 150 pitches, so right. I figured I wasn't going out there for the ninth. But I guess he had a blister, and so they called down and said, Demp, you're in. Well, you know, I, I go out there, I get the first out, and then uh, I actually set a major league record that day. I was the first pitcher in major league history. And I believe still this only time it's ever happened where I walked four consecutive batters and still got a save. Okay. So <laughs> I, I walked a guy with one out, then I walked another guy and then another guy and Ryan Howard was up. Um, and I walked to run it. And I remember Dusty coming out to get me cause Larry had already been out there. He goes on my like up near I think through close to 50 pitches that inning and uh and Dusty came out to go get me and he put a top foot on the top step and I just loud like really loud I just dropped a <clears throat> like coughing and I said nope and he looked at me and he said all right then go get it and I struck out the next guy and struck out the next guy and <laughs> ended up getting the save we won two to one it was uh it was a pretty remarkable day on the mound something I'd never been through in my life and so here's a, a question about like the dynamic I have. Um, let's let's say you end up blowing that save. Um, how do you talk to Z after that? Oh, that's okay. I mean, you know, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying for sure. But at the end of the day, too, it's not, you know, it, it's a situation where, you know, there's nothing that, you know, he could do nothing I could do. I'm trying to go out there and I'm, I want to save the game. Right. And right. Z and I have such a good relationship that that's what I'm, that's what I'm trying to do. So, so any kind of like, you know, situation where it's, you know, I don't know how to put it. Yeah. He knows I'm prepared. He knows that I'm going out there trying to do my job. Um, if I blow the save, you know, does it hurt? Does it sting? Cause he doesn't get the win for sure. Right. But he knows that I'm hurt a little bit more than he is in that situation. Cause he did a great job. Yeah. I, I mean, I was, I was more so asking the question just because we know the kind of, uh, personality, uh, big Z had and like the anger he, he wasn't afraid to show, but I, I mean, I get it. You guys are all going out there with, with the same goal in mind. And I don't think that's ever in question. Yeah, no, no, and, that, and that's the thing, right? If you have a guy on your team that you're questioning whether or not he wants to be out there, now that's a different story. But, right. I, you know, yeah, I, I, and, I, and I think, too, like, you know, that's one thing I definitely had a little bit more compassion for was understanding both sides, being a starter for most of my career, um, and then blowing a save. After after that happened, I went back to the rotation. I had a lot more understanding for what those guys were going through. Yeah, and and you get to the playoffs, and everybody says it's a, it's a different animal. And you've started, you've came out of the bullpen in the playoffs, from regular season to that. What what is that jump like? Yeah, it's just it's a little bit more intense, right? There, there's no there, there's no way around it. It just is. Everything's heightened. There's more media. There's more attention to every pitch that's being thrown. There's more people don't get out of their seats in the stands. You know, during the inning, they want to be out there. It's louder. Um, you're, you're facing better players, but right, like that's the reality. Better mm -hmm. teams, so the teams have better players, and the more you dwindle it down, 
the, the less and less it's about analytics or statistics, the more it becomes about who can control the heart rate the most and, and things like that. So, yeah, I just think, you know, it, it's just better baseball, um, better players, better fan experience, um, and more intense. And and you look at the way, you know, manners, managers manage these games, and you totally get it. You want your best players out there for the most amount of time, and specifically like the pitching staff, um, like you think 2016 – Chapman was coming out there at the end of the seventh or the beginning of the eighth. And in game seven, John Lester came out of the bullpen. And the year before, Madison Bumgarner would, would go pretty much whenever they needed him to. And so, like, my question is, obviously that's already a, a heightened environment going into the just any playoff game. But also in a role you don't have much experience in. Why do you think so many managers don't explore that a little bit more in the regular season so that you know, a guy like Chapman is prepared to come out there in the eighth or Lester out of the bullpen once or twice. Like, I know, um, you know, that's not really in the routine, but it has to be uncomfortable. Yeah, well, it's just you're, you're, you're stepping outside your comfort zone. I think Joe Madden always put it best. You have to be prepared to, you know, um, you know, be comfortable being uncomfortable. Like you have to, you have to figure out a way in your own right to get through that. Like this isn't about egos. This isn't about personal achievements anymore. Like I remember in 2013, we had a meeting before the playoffs started and we kind of joked around like, Hey, you know, who, what was your record this year? What's your record? And guys would say, no, it's zero and zero. It doesn't matter. This isn't about, you, you know, you, yeah, you want to have a great personal, that, that's what it's all about. Personal achievements and individual performances compiled together. If they're good, your team's going to succeed. But at the end of the day, this isn't about my ego or my feelings. If you can't hang that on the coat rack when you walk in or in your locker, your feelings about when you feel or you should or shouldn't be pitching, then we don't want you on the team. That's the reality. It's going to take everybody. You're going to have to be put in some situations you weren't normally in, and you're going to have to figure out how to get through that. You know, and that's great communication by you know your leaders, your coaches, your your manager, veteran players on the team. That this is the way it is right now. And this is what we need to do to win. I might have to throw. We've seen it over history. Look what Madison Bumgarner did for for the the Giants. Look what Randy Johnson, and Kurt Schilling did, and they're running when they won in one Like. You, it just there's no there's no oh, off seasons right around the corner. What do you want to do? Feel comfortable and be sitting on your couch, or do you want to be uncomfortable playing for a championship? And I think that's that that really, if you can answer that question honestly, I think that sums it up right there. Yeah, absolutely. And and I saw your tweet. I think it was during um, the Diamondbacks Phillies game uh, where the rookie I can't I don't know how to pronounce Fott. Is that how you say his yeah. last name? Brandon Fott. Brandon Fott pitched I think six innings, eight or nine strikeouts. Um, and they pulled him right before getting through the third time in the order. And I think you tweeted something along the lines of, um, I love this new era of baseball where you pull a guy who's dealing just to hope that the guy you put in pitches as well or something like that. Um, and, and obviously that's, you know, the era of analytics. But just how, I mean, you've retired, you said after the 2013 season, so about 10 years out of the league. How much has that aspect of the game changed? Yeah, a lot. And, and you know, like, it, it, to put that tweet in context, right? Like, it's not a knock on Tori Lovello. It's not a knock on Brandon Flott. It's it's really just more of a knock on the system that's been put in place, right? And and the reality is, is that Brandon Flott has barely been taught how to go through a lineup three times in a row, let alone four times. So when the guys go to the minor leagues now, they get pitch pitch counts, 75 pitches. Nobody's throwing 100 pitches in the minor league games. 
they're conditioning these guys to pitch exactly the way that's happening. So, you know, Lou Pinella once told me, he goes, son, listen, every time I walk out of the out of the mound and the pitcher's throwing great and I point to the bullpen, I risk something going wrong. And that's the truth. Sometimes right in front of us, the best things are happening. Um, and, you know, we have to be able to see that just because, you know, somebody's got to a certain pitch count or whatever it is. But at the same time, that's the way they're being trained right now. They're not being trained as long distance runners. They're being trained as 200 meter runners, 100 meter runners, maybe the 400 meter if you're really good. Nobody's running the 1500 meter anymore. So then we can't expect them to do that when that situation comes up because it is more intense. And then you're putting a kid in a situation where he's trying to go outside of very outside of his comfort zone in a very intense situation, maybe not the best place for that. Now I believe that we can train them to get guys out and throw longer. I just don't know that the game of baseball currently wants that. Now, do we get back to that? Maybe. We've seen some things with the new rules mm-hmm. get back, right? Stolen bases are back. So hopefully that's the situation. I don't think it's anybody's fault other than the system that's in place right now. Yeah, it definitely makes some uh, some records untouchable when, like, this this era, there's just not as many workhorses. So you're not going to get to those win numbers or those inning numbers or those strikeout numbers. Yeah, you, just, you just don't get to them. I mean, like... Now you got you don't even guys. What, what's the pitching leader? Maybe there's five guys across baseball throw 200 innings. You yeah, know, if you're lucky. like it just it just doesn't happen anymore. So then therefore you're not going to get a lot of the 250 plus strikeouts. You're also not going to get a lot of wins from starting pitchers. Um, so then it's like, oh, nobody's going to win 300 games anymore. You're right. Nobody's going to win 300 games anymore. Maybe nobody's going to win 200 games anymore because it's a combination of not throwing a lot of innings plus the salaries are so high. Guys don't pitch as long. Teams don't want older pitchers who don't throw hard because they don't got swing and miss stuff. So then those guys retire because it's like I don't have a job, but yet I've got $100 million in the bank. I'm just going to go home. So there's this trickle-down effect. I just really – I think we're seeing the last kind of generation of the 200-win pitcher unless something changes. Right, and so then, like, you know, back in the day, it was, you know, 300 wins, 500 home runs. Those were the marks that almost guaranteed you the Hall of Fame. There's a lot more gray area now. Like, does a guy who gets 200 wins in that era, is that something that translates to 300 an era ago? Like, I think of a guy like Adam Wainwright, who just got that 200th win in his last season. Um, Years ago, that's not a guy you'd consider for the Hall of Fame, but now in this era, it might be. Yeah, it might be, and it might be, you know, you're, you're going to have to start to look at other peripheral numbers, right? You're going to have to start to look at, you know, you know, and for Adam Wainwright, and I love Adam, and, and I don't know if he's a Hall of Famer, not because of, I don't think he hasn't done great, but, you know, when you miss seasons because of injury and things like that, like, um, there isn't a Cy Young in there, there Oh, but he's done plenty of things, right? He's been an all-star a few times. He's been in the top, you know, he's been in the top pitching performance of, you know, he's, I think he's top five in Cy Young, maybe even top three, like three or four times. He's, right. He's won gold gloves. He's done those kind of things. Um, his contributions to one franchise, you know, it plays a role, I think. Win percentage might be uh, maybe something that people tend to look at a little bit more. I mean, this guy was... I mean, above 600, I know that. So, um, you know, there's a lot of different factors um, that, that you get to, you know, and, and the, if those end up being, you know, altered or the, the guidelines of what people do, maybe those change. So, yeah, I just, 
look what he had to do 18 years in the league to win 200 games on his last start of his career. I, I, I just don't know how many more guys are going to win 200 games. Right. Um, so let, let's shift gears now into the Cubs. I know um, you're obviously an analyst for Marquee, but also for, for the MLB Network. But I know you still have a, a spot in your heart for the Cubs. So I just want to ask this question because I know it's been bothering a lot of fans watching these playoffs, specifically the Phillies. Um, isn't it hard to see so many former Cubs or guys that were rumored to be Cubs um, doing exactly what Cubs fans hoped they'd do for the Cubs? Well, yeah, I, I think I think one in particular. Like people can talk about Nick Castellanos and stuff, but Castellanos played half the season, a couple months with the Cubs. Like he wasn't a Chicago Cub. I don't. He had time in Chicago, and I think it was awesome what he did in the uniform and all that kind of stuff, but. You know, I think when we think about Kyle Schwarber and kind of what went on there. Has to sting. I, I think that just things because there's also this emotional attachment to what he did for the World Series, right? Yeah, I now, mean, that a hero. Said, okay, yeah, like hero, absolutely, come back, all that kind of stuff, hero. But, like, if you're looking at it at the time, that was... That was the attachment, I think, more so than the performance on the field. Sure. Like, he had the really, I thought, I thought you know, in 2019, I thought was kind of this massive year, right? He was close to 40 home runs. You know, he had his highest batting average in his career, I think, um, you know, as far as across the board or close to it. You know, I think he had 250 that year. Um but there becomes this business aspect. You know, there was questions about defense, but then there was also the talks about Universal DH coming up. So there's all these things that you're trying to project. And I think 2020 played a huge part in that. I mean, let's face it. Teams changed their direction as far as payroll and reconstruction and doing different things. Maybe had some of those other guys signed long-term deals or maybe he had an opportunity. Maybe it would have had a trickle-down effect. But I think... It does make it hard because we see what he's done the last couple of years where he's hitting over almost 50 home runs a year, right? And then in the postseason, he's an absolute monster. Like, what he does is ridiculous. So, yeah, does it sting? Yeah. I don't look at his former Cubs. I say former Cub. That, that I think that one is the one that stands out to everybody and makes them feel like, why is he still not in a Cub uniform, you know? And rightfully so. I think I think that's a valid argument from every Cub fan, and I, I feel the same way. I watch it, and I'm like, that sure would look nice in a Cub uniform, you know? But it is what it is, and I'm happy for him because you're talking about one of the best people that I've ever been around um, in this game. He's just kind to everyone. He does so much off the field, and he goes out there and gives it everything he's got every day. So, yeah, it's, it stings a little for sure. Yeah, and I think part of how good of just how good of a guy he is, let alone a baseball player, is, is part of what makes it sting. Um, but it's just, I think it's frustrating. And obviously, hindsight's twenty twenty. Um, Schwarber was probably the guy you would have wanted to pay. Um, just looking at what has happened with, you know, Chris Bryant, Javier Baez, some of the other guys that they also decided not to pay. Um, and then the other the other aspect of that was, you know, they wanted to get away from the high power, high strikeout and kind of lean more into the contact approach. And it's worked. Nico Horner's like that. Ian Happ has kind of turned into that. Um, but then at the end of the year, you have Jed Hoyer saying, you know, we didn't have a lot of players in our lineup that could change the game with one swing. So you got to find that balance. And Schwarber is definitely a guy that could have been a part of that balance. And I know um, Bryce Harper was another guy who was rumored to be a Cub. Um, 
it, he just kind of became a free agent at the wrong time, in my opinion. They weren't trying to fully go back in, um, especially uh, with some of the cost cuts that they were about to do. Um, but it, it just stings knowing that, you know, in some alternate reality, those guys are in pinstripes playing right now. Yeah, yeah, I understand what you're saying, but I think that's the hard part, right? Like, it's it's the hardest part to do in in sports and in life or whatever is we constantly want to watch the History Channel and 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 think that we can change it. And if we don't live in the present and prepare for the future, then what are you doing? You're just chasing things that you wish could be different, and it's not. The reality is, this is what you got, and so. Um, that, you know, he's, it's not like he's available in the free agent market. You can go sign him after this. He's not, he's, he's there for a while. And so you got to move on. And if you're constantly going, well, if we had this, we had this, if we had this yeah, but we don't. So how do we win with what we have? And I think for, you know, for Chicago and for the Cubs, there's, there's a lot of really good things to like, right? So now you got to add those other pieces, you know, hopefully you can re-sign a Cody Bellinger and have that one swing of the bat guy back, you know? Um, and then some other guys across the board, um, where you just make it a little bit more of a well-balanced lineup. I think when you look at the Phillies, say, for example, yes, you have, you know, you got these guys, you got Kyle Schwarber, right? But a lot of swing and miss. But then you have guys like Bryson Stott who don't, or JT Realmuto who don't swing and miss. Trey Turner, all of a sudden, he got going again. Like, you have the combination of both. If you just have an all-swing and miss lineup, bad. All-contact, no power, not good either. You need a little bit of both. Ched knows that. He's just been around this game a long time he's very very smart at what he's doing he knows that easier said than done right oh i want this player i want this player i want this player cool do all those players want to come here do any of them want to come here is the money right for any of them does does he want to go play and so it's it, there's so many levels and folds to it that to just sit there and say we got to get this guy cool we went there and offered him a hundred million dollars but he didn't want that or he wanted to play somewhere else or he wanted to go do this it's not for a lack of trying by the team i think it's just for one of those things where you know, you can't always, the, the Rolling Stones said it, you know, you can't always get what you want. And, um, you know, and then you got to, then you got to make do with what you have. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the Cubs, I still overall would, would say it was a good year. Obviously a, a bad September left them out of the postseason, but they were 83 and 79, had some really great moments. Even despite that September collapse, they still went 41 and 32 in the second half. Cody Bellinger was great, um, and he kind of got hot post-All-Star game, but they did send Steele Stroman and Swanson to the All-Star game. A-, a lot to be proud of off of this season, but I look at um, some of the numbers that, you know, you look at run differential and some of the other things of what it would have projected. They had the Cubs as a 90-win team, and that's the, the same record that the-, the Phillies had and that the Brewers had going into the postseason, um, but they just didn't. They fell short. So I want to ask you, what do you think – went wrong and what are the the main areas that need to be different for them to get to the postseason next year yeah i I mean i think it's just you know you get to a situation where you know when you're trying to come back and then you know which the cubs did it made this great run post all-star break and into august then you get to september and there was a little bit of fatigue in the bullpen um you know where guys just started to kind of tire out a little bit losing alzali for the rest of the year Pretty much, you know, other than that little bit he came back, I think that, you know, um, kind of was a little bit tough. Mark, Michael Fulmer as well, Mark Leiter Jr. Started. There was just a little bit of fatigue out of the bullpen towards the end, you know, and that's, you know, a situation where, I mean, you know, 
for a whole, I mean, on the whole, starting rotation-wise, you had five guys that, you know, threw 130-plus innings, um, and, and that's good. Uh, Justin Steele had a tremendous year. He's going to be a top three Cy Young candidate. There was a little bit of struggles the rest of the way. You know, Ty Young struggled a little bit. I think he's going to have a monster year next year and bounce back from that. There, there's just there was just a little bit short in that department, and then so then games get away from you, games that you could have maybe won as we saw down the stretch. And and I think, you know, maybe getting a little bit stronger there, guys developing a little bit more, having that second year under their belt out of the bullpen or the third year where now they trust in that um, is it, really important. Um, I think there's so many positive things. I think the fight that they showed was awesome. And, um, you know, to be that close to the playoffs, that's hunger, right? The carrot's dangling in front of your face. You didn't get to eat it. If that doesn't motivate you during the offseason, then that's on you. There's something you got to do a little bit more, work a little bit harder, be a little bit more prepared, have a little bit more endurance, whatever it is. Um, but these guys should be really proud of the second half of the season that they had. Yeah, absolutely. And just to, to play themselves out of selling, I think, was such a big thing for this organization because – you're the Chicago Cubs. You really can't sell three years in a row, or you shouldn't. And that was a really nice effort uh, just to make sure that didn't happen. And then they got hotter than that, and that was awesome to watch some great moments. Uh, Morell's walk-off, Steele's run, um, a lot of great things happened. And kind of the catalyst of all of it, at least offensively, was Cody Bellinger. And you mentioned him being that you know that one swing of the bat kind of guy, but he's due to be a free agent. Um what what's your educated guess on what a deal um, to get him signed would look like? Oh, I don't know. It's a good question. Um, I, I honestly don't know because there's that excitement, but I'm sure there's going to be a lot of teams who are a little hesitant because of previous two years. Was this just you know a, a comeback season, or is this a comeback to the player he was? Mm-hmm. Um, is this really who he is? And I believe it's who he is. I think he's healthy. Um, but there's going to be there's going to be teams or and then you where, where where is the market is it the New York Yankees is it you know back out in L A somewhere is it you know where who who's the team that steps up it's all determined I, to to sit there I think Cody's going to ultimately find out what his value is and I think you know there's not there's not a, a truthfully there's not a reason for him to have a hometown discount or come back for less. He's only here for a year so far. Did he love it in Chicago? Absolutely. Why wouldn't he? It was great. He had a monster year. But he's going to do what's best for him, and that's the business aspect of the game that we're seeing more and more um, is that players are understanding it is isn't. It is a business. You know, The days of the loyalty are not there as much as they weren't across the board, all the way across the league. There might be players here and there, but for the most part, it's always going to be a business decision, and I think most of the players tend to make that. Um, I, don't, I don't know. five for 125 four for 100 somewhere in that range you know i mean this is you know i think there's always going to be that not go too far you know but he still is only 27 years old he's a young dude former mvp rookie of the year you know one world series and he balled out and had an unbelievable season so he deserves to get paid yeah i'll certainly we'll be keeping our eyes on it for sure it's definitely a name that the cubs will be in on. And some of the other big free agents, uh, Blake Snell, Aaron Nola, um, Matt Chapman, are those guys you see the Cubs potentially in on as well? Yeah, I love Matt Chapman. I think, you know, there's there's obviously some swing and miss in the bat, but you're talking about elite defender with power, you know, and that's something the Cubs at the corner position. I know Patrick Wisdom has lots of home runs and stuff, but um, it was a little bit better average, a little bit better defense. Um, 
he's a, you know a great teammate I know he loves it in Toronto and he wants to stay there but that's a guy for sure I think that corner position is something you could add a little bit more power to um and those other two guys yeah great but you know what the market's going to be like especially Aaron Nola what he's doing this postseason he every start he's just adding another 20 million dollars to his contract so I don't know if that's going to be out of the price range um Blake Snell obviously coming off of a Cy Young that's always the thing right like I remember when we signed Soriano back in 2007 going into that year and everyone's like yeah 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 and I'm like you realize that we're not we just paid for his best year of his career He's not going to have another year like he just had. He was 40-40. How many guys are two-time 40-40, let alone back-to-back? It's yeah. only going to be less than that. So you have to understand that. Like, if you're signing, you know, Aaron if you're signing Blake Snow off of a Cy Young, the only thing that he can do to justify that contract is win another Cy Young. Everything else in a fan's eyes is an overpay. Is an overpay. So you have to understand that. So, you know, it's like you have to understand you might. Uh, that's why contracts like John Lester's are rarities where a guy signs a deal and fulfills the entire fulfillment of that contract. Max Scherzer with the Nationals. Deals like that don't happen very often, especially with pitchers. That being said, would you like to have either of those guys in the rotation? Yep. Take them both. Yeah, and I feel like at some point, and obviously I applaud Jed Hoyer. I think he's been really smart with the money thus far. Um, since he's taken over for Theo, like I, you look at Dansby Swanson and then you look at the deals that Turner and Correa and Bogarts got, and he's being paid like he's way behind those guys. And what we saw on the field is is that he's not way behind those guys. So that looks like a bargain. But at the end of the day, that that top line, the top of the market, everything is going to look like an overpay because those numbers and some of the years are just insane. But that's the market. So you're going to have to do that at some point. Um, I don't know if this is the offseason or if it's next offseason or via trade, but that has to happen at some point. Yeah, and I, hey, listen, I think, I think too, like, you know, I think Dansby Swanson had a really strong year, and I know he hit under 250, but it's your first year of a contract. Look across the board, all those guys who signed, you mentioned them, signed those big deals. That's hard, man. It is hard to come somewhere – to a new place, you know, where you're trying to make new friends, you're trying to make new teammates, you're trying to win yourself over to the fans that you got, you know, almost $200 million to, and then you got the life of it all and establishing yourself and your routine, and then you got all the media requests that happen, you know, to do all that and navigate through that. I think a lot of guys end up, you know, their second, third year have the years that they got paid for. I think sometimes it's hard to get paid like that and then produce like you just got paid for, like we were just talking about especially with a new team. So, yeah, I think Jed's done a tremendous job of kind of targeting what he's looking for and, and executing that plan and then bringing on guys that don't crush your team financially. Think about this one right here, Anthony. How many contracts of 200-plus million dollars in the free agent market have led to a World Series title? I'm going to ask you that. I'm going to give you a couple seconds. I'll tell you this. It's only been one. Okay. One free agent deal, and that's Max Scherzer. Okay. Um, Not a single position player. Alex Rodriguez was an opt-out and a quick re-sign. Mookie Betts was an extension that he signed when he went to L.A., um, got traded over there. There's, there hasn't been these ones. And it just it doesn't always translate to winning. It translates to getting a good player. 
Um, so just throwing money at something as we always want to do, get, get Otani. Really? You want to give Otani $400 million? For <laughs> you know, like what, what to sell tickets? It's the Chicago Cubs, you know, it doesn't guarantee you anything. All it does is guarantee you that you got a massive payroll for the next 10 years. So, and so, so I, I, I think those resources sometimes can be used in other ways that maybe benefit your team as a whole for this year, the next year, the year after that, and thinking that one player is going to determine whether or not you win the World Series. Like the Phillies signed Bryce Harper to that massive deal. They haven't won yet. Do they win this year? Maybe that breaks that trend. But it also took signing another player for $300 million. It took signing Nick Castellanos. It took signing Schwarber. It took signing Zach Wheeler. Like, it wasn't just one player that does it. Is it awesome to have Bryce Harper on your team, especially come the postseason? Yep, absolutely. Want him. Need him. But that being said, doesn't guarantee you anything. Right. And and I think that's what uh, – and obviously the fans aren't the ones cutting the checks, but that's what they, – they don't want just one. They want everybody. They want – they want Turner, yeah. they want Harper, they want Schwarber. Um, but it it all comes down, you know, at the end of the day, does it make sense? Do they want, do the Cubs want? Like like you said, there's so many other little intricacies. But I think whether, you know, if it ends up being Phillies Rangers, um, then no matter what, that number goes up, right? Because you've got Seager, you've got Simeon on that side, uh, Scherzer, but that's not a deal that, that they signed. And then... Harper, Turner on the other side. So that number would have to go up. Yeah, I mean, well, if one of those two teams wins. Right. If, we're if. Talking about if one of those two teams, Simeon, Simeon, Seager. So if Texas wins it, if it's Texas, Philadelphia, we're going to have our first contract since next year, you get over $200 million. Uh-huh. I mean, it was inevitable because, and, and to, to put that in a little bit of perspective, and I'm not, salaries have gone up. So, like, when Max signed that, that was the premier elite deal at the time. Yeah. But it also took, think about that, it took five seasons for that to happen. You know? Mm-hmm. And it, it took a team coming out of nowhere. It wasn't like they signed Max Scherzer and the next year they won the World Series. They signed Max Scherzer. They had Steven Strasburg. They brought in all these other guys. It took a while. It takes a minute, you know, to kind of to get there. And, and it, it's not just, you can't slap money at it. You got to have a team. You got to have a bunch of guys. They've got to execute and believe in themselves. It's not just bought on paper. It never has been. For sure. Now, I, I only have a few more questions for you. I'm going to ask you. Maybe the Yankees have before back in the day. Yeah. Um, so the, there's three guys that I want to ask you um, who you think they play for on opening day next year. Uh, it could be rapid fire or you can go into a little bit of depth if you'd like. Um, Cody Bellinger, Juan Soto, Pete Alonso. Where are they playing? Opening day, twenty twenty four. Pete Alonso for the New York Mets. Juan Soto. Juan Soto for the. Juan Soto for the New York Mets. Hmm. And Cody Bellinger. My fingers are crossed for the Chicago Cubs, but I think maybe the New York Yankees. Okay, so potentially all three of those guys to the Big Apple. That would be... Potentially, yeah. Yeah, that would be a wild, um, another spending spree for for Steve Cohen and then the the big left-handed bat that the Yankees have been looking for. Um, The spending spree wouldn't be anything for Juan Soto because they just have to trade some prospects. True, but... Because he's been extended already by San Diego, right? 
No, no, he, he's going to be a he's a Scott Forrest client. You don't get extended. Oh right, so, so they'll become free agents. They'll have to do that at some point if they want and him to to stay. Meetings, they want to make a massive trade. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Um. Now the other question I wanted to ask is: we mentioned Snell, we mentioned Nola, or maybe even a potential trade target for the starting rotation, but. Um, as it stands right now, it looks like the Cubs are going to have a full five coming back. Obviously, Justin Steele at the top. Um, all the reports show that Marcus Stroman is going to opt in or use his player option for another season. Same with Kyle Hendricks. And then you're paying Jamison Tyone, obviously. And then you have Jordan Wicks, who had a really strong season. Um, and, of course, Cade Horton and Ben Brown waiting in the wings. So if they and obviously you can't have too much pitching. I'm not trying to be naive about that, but let's say they do go get one of the top end guys. Let's just say Aaron Nola. Where what happens to the rest of the five and the prospects that are set to you know their ETAs are soon? Yeah, I mean, I I think you don't know. We can try and project that. We don't know how the offseason is going to go for guys. Who comes in spring training? Do they have a healthy spring training? Who who takes a step forward? Who regresses? You know, we, we fall in love, and I and it's great, and it's the future, and it's awesome. We fall in love with this idea or concept that because a guy is having success in the minor leagues that he's going to come up to the big leagues and he's going to have that same success. And we want that, and it's a great theory. But the reality is, is it's got to be proven. You know, we saw that with Mash Mervis. Tears the cover off the ball in AAA, comes to the big leagues. It's a little bit different. You're facing all the best players all the time, every game, top scouts. Everybody's watching every single thing you do every moment of the day. So it becomes very hard. You have to make adjustments. And what does the opportunity look like? Who do you start against? Who, you're, who do you come up? Who are you filling in for? Um, all these kind of things. Depth. I think just having that depth is tremendous. Every year, no matter what team you're on, you need more than five starting pitchers. Guys either go down or they don't perform the way you want them to. So having those guys, there was so much excitement and well-deserved with the young players on the on the team. Jordan Wicks had an unbelievable debut into the big leagues and, and, and he threw the ball great. He's got to continue that, you know, and these different arms that are down there, Ben Brown, all these guys, and that's awesome. Um, so I think having as much depth as you can possibly have is the key because it's not going to be the five guys that start the year are going to be the five guys that finish. And if they are, there's going to be somewhere in the middle that somebody's going to have to pick something up. might not be an arm. It could be a, a hamstring or a quad or a sore back or whatever it is. And so you need that. And I think for the first time in a long time, I think that the Cubs have that in place. Multiple guys down there ready to have an opportunity. And that's good. Competition is great. Friendly competition is what you want. You want these guys challenging each other. So I think this is the best position they've been in from a starting pitcher standpoint in a while. Yeah, absolutely. And and then when you mention maybe trying to splurge for a big trade, you have a little bit of depth to deal from where it's not going to um, deplete your system like it, it has in the past. So that's also definitely an advantage and and I didn't even mention Javier Assad he was great this year and definitely played himself into rotation talk so that that depth is definitely going to be something to keep an eye on spring training and and definitely something to uh to hopefully brag about moving forward for sure um so here's my last question for you I uh asked you to do it last time I've been working on it for a while um so I'm going to ask this question as as somebody else Hello, everybody. It's Harry Carey here, previewing the World Series. Tonight, we've got two games that could decide who plays in the Fall Classic, but Ryan, 
who do you think is going to take on the World Series title in 2023? Wow, Harry. Um, man, if I had to pick, I think Philly's going to be playing Texas. And, uh, and I think that somehow, some way, it's going to the Lone Star State. I think it's going to happen in Texas. And, uh, yeah, that's what I got for you. I, I, that's a bold prediction. I know I'm going on a limb with four teams left, but that's what I see. Did you ever play for Boach? I didn't know. I know him quite well. So, yeah, it's, um, I'm rooting for all the guys. It's, all four managers are great managers, and I have ties to all of them in different ways. So whoever gets there, good for them. And, of course, I'm 99% sure Texas is the only team out of the four that you played for? Yes, correct. Gotcha. Um, well, awesome. I really appreciate you coming on. We'll have to do this again soon, but I'll definitely keep my eyes out for those uh, – The obviously the free agency and, and the winter meetings, but also um, – the, the fall classic coming up. You got it, brother. All right. Thanks, Ryan. I'll talk to you later. Okay, Anthony. See you, man. And that'll do it for this edition of the Cubs Corner. Thanks again to Ryan Dempster for coming on the show. Always great to have a former Cub and, and a former player's insight. We'll be back next week as we go throughout the fall classic and into the off season and what should be a huge one for the Chicago Cubs. As always, this episode can be found on Apple Podcast the Cubs HQ website, and SoundCloud. But for now, thank you all for coming to the Cubs Corner.